0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. All right, that's a wrap for the U.S. Men's National Team in 2019. We finished the year off with a 4-0 victory against Cuba in the CONCACAF Nations League. But the scoreline, of course, does not tell the entire story. 11 months into the process of developing an identity and style of play with the national team came and went without any real progress. We have no clear identity from match to match. There is still too many moments of chaos and confusion. And we still have obvious problems playing against some of the weakest teams in the world. To top things off, we finished 19 in a way that appeared to look like a complete and total abandonment of all the principles that were being ingrained into the players since January. So Joey and I busted out the magnifying glasses and broke down this Cuba game in a way that others probably don't. We continue to hold Burrhalter accountable for the way that he promised USA would play, we talk about specific moments in this match like Jordan Morris's first goal and we try to determine if that was even supposed to happen. And then towards the very end of the episode, we start looking forward to 2020 and we discuss what we want from the team next year. You can head over to our Twitter feeds to see some of the tactical analysis, video and photo examples, and reactions from other fans. Joey is at Casio underscore FG. Me, John, I am at that Croatian guy. And as always, you can always tell us how you feel in the comment section that is available on 343coaching.com. If you guys want more from 343, we have over 200 episodes of this podcast previously recorded where we talk about coaching, we talk about player development, we talk about the men's national team, we talk about American soccer politics, all kinds of stuff. We also have over 200 written articles on our website that talk about many of the same topics. Gary Kleidman has been writing about the U.S. Men's National Team, the problems with it, the culture surrounding it for over 10 years. And all of that stuff still rings very true today. So all of that is available on 343coaching.com if you want to go back and review and see where things were and then compare to where things are today. It's quite interesting if you ask me. And of course, all of this is based on our real-life experiences in the American soccer system, specifically with coaching and developing players and teams over the course of decades. You can see how we've done that in our online coaching courses, where we prove that the global gold standard methods do work here in the United States. Regardless of what other people want to tell you, they work here, and we have a program that proves it. So if you're an ambitious American soccer coach and you want your teams to play possession-based soccer, you can learn how by visiting 343coaching.com and signing up for our premium coaching education program. That is the same program that has developed many of the players that we discuss here on this podcast on a regular basis, like Ajax's Alex Mendez, Wolfsburg's Ulianes, Ellie Galaxy's Efra Alvarez, and many more. So if you want to learn the proven methods that have helped develop the best players in the U.S. men's national team pipeline, you can find that once again at 343coaching.com. All right, buckle up. This is the last episode to talk about the U.S. men's national team in 2019. And I hope that you enjoy this episode with my good friend, Joey Cassio. Thanks for listening. Oh my, is there a lot to talk about? What's going on, man?
1: Not much, not much. You?
0: Oof, just trying to digest everything, man. Trying to trying to see what's going on in the in the social media and the Twitter world, trying to you know, stay up to date on on all the news, all the happenings, everything like that and there's there's just so much to talk about, dude.
1: There is. Last night was seen uh, in a very interesting way. I think by the American soccer public. Um, so yeah, looking forward to talking to it, man.
0: Let's uh, let's just get right into it, man. What are what are some of your just first reactions or general thoughts about about the game against Cuba last night?
1: Uh, my first thought is you know the messaging from the media and some of the the public was that you know oh it's just a That game was just a situation where, you know, we we go in there, we get the job done and we get out. That's it. All good. Uh, But I don't think it should be seen that way. Um, You know, we've talked about Berhalter's vision for the national team and how he wants the team to play. So in this match, you know, we're going to win. We're going to beat Cuba. So it's an opportunity in Berhalter's process to work on the things that he Wants to see uh, in in the team on the field, and it's a it, it's valuable. It's a, a valuable opportunity to do that. And we didn't really see, or I didn't see, any sort of uh, emphasis on the points that Berhalter has discussed in the past regarding his possession based identity. Um, with the ball, we seriously labored the entire match, and so yeah, I thought it was interesting that people. Saw it that way. It, it, there's so much more to it than that, you know. The national team doesn't have a lot of time, like a club team, for example, to work on, you know, the the identity. So every opportunity the national team has together, and Burhalter has with the players, it's an opportunity to improve. Uh, and still, we're we're waiting. We're waiting to see improvements in the areas that uh, Burhalter has discussed.
0: And those areas that we continue to talk about. Are ball circulation, breaking lines, and goal-scoring opportunities. Last night, we obviously beat Cuba four to zero, and if we look at the four goals, only one of them really came from and 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 can be considered, you know, a fitting of the style that Burhalter has been trying to implement through 2019, and and that only that that goal is the fourth goal uh, to let's see 66th minute from Josh Sargent. That was the only one that had any type of like buildup or intentional play behind it. they knocked the ball around a little bit in Cuba's half, ultimately got the ball wide to Reggie Cannon. And then he, he crossed it. Tyler Boyd did a fancy little layoff with the outside of the foot was, which was actually quite nice. And Josh, finished it first time, which was a, a, a fairly decent goal. So out of the four goals that we scored, that was the only one where you can kind of use Burhalter's criteria, of ball circulation, breaking lines, and then creating a goal scoring opportunity from that to, uh, to say that, you know, they succeeded the other three goals, not even a, you know, really a hint uh, of that in my opinion. What do you think?
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I agree. Uh, it, like I said, they, they labored with, with possession of the ball. Very slow. And let's be honest, Cuba, uh, the defensive pressure from Cuba was very, very low level. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm just going to be honest. Cuba looked like a Sunday league team. And the match itself looked like I was you know out on the field at the weekend watching a Sunday league game.
0: Yeah, there was a moment... I I think I highlighted on Twitter maybe in the 36th minute, where Tim Tim Ream is Tim Ream and Aaron Long are getting pressed by the Cuban forwards, and I had the exact same thought. And again, like you, I hate saying it out loud, but yeah, it looked like a, a men's league team. It looked like this kind of like this chubby little forward guy running around, uh, just just pestering Tim Ream, and and it was effective to <laughs> to a certain degree. Like Tim Ream, I think at one point just ended up turning the, turning around and playing the ball back to Guzan. You know, he played him a terrible, like hospital ball in the air, uh, more than one occasion. But on, on that specific occasion, he he did that just because you know some little guy was was running around chasing him, pestering him. So yeah, the the, yeah. the defensive pressure was was uh, interesting because Cuba at different times did look like they tried to high press. It's just they were so you know the, they were so bad at it, or the, you know the players just individually don't have the skill to to execute it. And U.S. was still not able to break that down more often than not.
1: Yeah, they weren't. And I think some of the things to look for uh, watching that game, one of the things is the players checking their shoulders. If you watch, it doesn't happen enough. And that's every player on the field. Uh, I think the midfielders don't check their shoulders enough. And checking both shoulders – Uh, I shared an example of UEL. It it was against uh, Canada, though, where he he checks one shoulder. He sees a defender behind him. He doesn't check the other shoulder. And if he did, he would have realized that he could have turned to his uh, right and got out of pressure out the other way. And then in this game against Cuba, uh, I I was watching Ream at center back. And when Aaron Long would have the ball, Ream would never – check his shoulder to see where lovitz was so yeah against cuba you know they had trouble at times when cuba were putting applying pressure to them but if you again we we have to think when we start to play better competition uh this is going to be a serious problem for us these little these little tiny basics that the players aren't executing it's causing us to struggle against cuba i i can't imagine how bad it's going to look against you know the better the better competition
0: yeah, it's kind of frightening. Um, I want to I want to go through the rest of the goals really quick, and then we can move on to more more of the tactical observations and some of the other things that that you and I had just spoke about before we started recording. But um, first goal came in the first thirty seconds of the game it's really really hard to to pull anything from that other than you know very cool that Josh Sargent was was in a good spot you know so early in the game and, and was fortunate to to tap that in i think that's about all there is to say about that goal the second goal is interesting to me and you highlighted something on twitter and so people can go and look at the at the still photos that you provided and and we can start with 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 that i guess so Jordan Morris receives the ball just outside of the 18 he takes his first touch which brings him into the penalty area and, and ultimately he goes up to his first touch or catches up to his first touch and is able to shape his body in a way to get a good angle and, and, and takes a, a good shot and scores a goal but to 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 leave it at that is is doing an injustice I think and when you look further at that goal like you did his first touch you know is terrible the goalkeeper's reaction to jordan morris's first touch and just his his entry into the penalty area is amateur level at best and then i i went and looked you know back at what led up to the actual pass to jordan and i wasn't very impressed with that whole situation either um I I, I want to let you speak really quick on, on you know your observations about that goal and and you know what your initial reaction was when you were watching it and then what you kind of noticed when you went back and dissected it.
1: Yeah, I'll focus on Morris. So when he takes his first touch, he's near the top of the 18-yard box. Uh, it's a heavy touch considering you know where he is on the field in front of the goal, and I believe that. Against better competition against higher level higher level goalkeepers, they see his first touch as a cue to go and smother him and try to take away his space and prevent him from being able to shoot uh, the the Cuban goalkeeper basically remains in the same spot, which allows Morris to catch up to the ball, take a second touch, and then shoot so I shared on Twitter that, you know, I this is the mirage of CONCACAF. Well, yeah, Morris scored the goal uh, at the higher levels. He's not going to get away with a heavy first touch, taking a second touch, and then being able to shoot in the 18-yard box. The goalkeepers will be all over him. So, yeah, I, I felt it was necessary to point that out because I, I had a feeling that, you know, Surrounding the game, uh, everyone's sort of, quote unquote, star performer would be Morris. Uh, he's kind of loaded up the stat sheet of late. He's being talked about as the in player. And so, yeah, I thought it was necessary to point that out for a little bit of perspective.
0: And I, I agree 100%. And your tagline of Mirage of Concacaf is is starting to catch uh, catch some traction too. But the the other day, I pointed out that I feel like a lot of American soccer fans and a lot of American soccer media members suffer from highlight vision, which is just seeing that t- the tail end of that play and seeing Jordan Moore score the goal and drawing conclusions from just that. Okay, Jordan scored a goal, therefore he performed excellently. Uh, you know, would be the the thinking that I. I believe a lot of people have. So I went back and I I wanted to look at the entire sequence that led up to the goal. And, and I guess I should probably retract what I said earlier uh, about the fourth goal being the only one that had a little bit of buildup to it, because the second goal also did, you know, there were a little bit of uh, of passes, a little bit of exploring from side to side. And, and ultimately the ball landed with Jackson Ewell, maybe about like 30 yards away from the goal. And, and you know, Jackson Ewell receives it. Uh, receives it across his body, turns and, and and you know faces towards the goal, which you know he has a couple players in his line of sight. One of those players being Weston McKinney. One of those players being Jordan Morris. And and Jackson, you know, you can tell by his body shape and and his body language and his and his visual cues, looks like he wants to play the ball in that direction. And at that point when, when he starts to kind of load up and make his pass, both Weston and Jordan Morris are, are standing virtually still They're They're, they're not making runs that make it look like, the, you know, they're going to dart behind the back line or anything like that. And, uh, Jackson appears t- to me to want to be playing that ball to Weston McKinney, who is near to him, has more space around him. There's no defenders between Weston and Jackson. Um, and, and so to me, I think Jackson Ewell was trying to play Weston McKinney. Weston at this point, you know, when the ball's in flight, realizes, oh, shit, the ball's coming and kind of like loads up and jumps and misses the header. At that point, it kind of surprises the defender, the Cuban defender, because I think he assumed that ball was going to go to Weston and the, you know that Weston was even going to have no problem receiving it. All of a sudden, it's past Weston, and this defender is like, "Uh, like doesn't know what to do," kind of like awkwardly like moves his body and his leg uh, towards the ball, and then he misses, and then the ball lands at Jordan Morris's feet, and and, and here's where it it kind of gets into what you pointed out is that, you know, his first touch was super heavy, and I think it's because a combination of two things: Jordan Morris doesn't have uh, an elite level or world class level first touch, so that's number one, but also I think that he was surprised that the ball went to him and, and he wasn't ready to to receive it or do anything with it. And so his first touch basically uh, just bounced off of him and happened to bounce probably five, six, seven yards away from him. And he was very fortunate that there was no other defender and the goalkeeper decided not to come out and pressure him. So the entire sequence leading up to that goal, um, you know, th- that I just kind of went through, I think was, is easily overlooked by you know, a casual fan and even the media as well, because those guys were, you know, so quick on the broadcast to talk about, um, you know, Jordan Morris, like celebrating Jordan Morris and his accomplishments and and saying, Hey, you know, here's another goal for Jordan Morris. You know, he's, he's a standout player in 2019 and all this other, all this other stuff, you know, they, they, they didn't really give it a, a critical analysis, which I think is, is very important to do. So that was, that was my observation
1: yeah against the world cup or in world cup qualifying uh we'll come up against tougher opposition and in the world cup itself if we do qualify we're not going to get away with that kind of stuff if we do it'll be rare but we saw in the game against cuba that you know there we were uh cuba was making a lot of mistakes so it made us look a little bit better or i shouldn't say a little bit a lot better than we actually were
0: yeah, and, and to finish out the goal scoring uh, opportunities in the 39th minute, uh, we created another opportunity from a corner kick. Um, no, again, no, no real buildup or anything attached to that. It was kind of just like a scramble, almost like a free for all at, at one point with uh, everybody kind of just poking around at the ball inside the penalty area. I think it ultimately ended up at Aaron Long's feet who, um, you know, directed, directed in towards goal. I don't know if it was a shot. I don't know if it was a cross. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what it, what it was, but Jordan Morris happened to be there and, and tapped it in. It looked like he was going to go in no matter what. They even pointed that out on the broadcast. It kind of appeared by his reaction, like with a little smile and and a hug with Aaron Long that Jordan was kind of recognizing that as well. But nonetheless, uh, you know, goes in. So, uh the 39th minute we're up 3-0, halftime, uh and then the fourth and final goal came from Josh Sargent in the 66th minute, which we kind of already talked about, so no need to go over. No need to go over that again. Um let's uh let's get into some more like the the, the tactical stuff. So, we we've been uh we've been using the ball circulation breaking lines goal scoring opportunities for for um our points of emphasis. Um, I don't know if you want to do kind of like a pass fail type thing like I did last time, or if you just want to kind of point out some different, different, uh, moments that stood out to you.
1: Yeah. I'll point out some different things. Uh, I said earlier, I talked about the checking, the checking of the shoulder. I think it's seriously lacking. And again, against better teams that will be applying more pressure on us, uh, the fact that we don't do that enough is a big concern. Um, Joey, can I jump in yeah. really quick?
0: Sure. Because on the on the on the thinking of checking the shoulder body shape, I think is also important, and yes. I, I I think if people pay attention to a player like Tim Ream and how he positions his body, it's pretty much all the time, whether you know he's about to receive the ball or even in 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 defensive situations too, the way that his body is situated to me is just very, very, very poor. And that goes along with, you know, checking your shoulder and just being, being aware of your surroundings. I think those two are, are are kind of hand in hand. So I wanted to make sure I I brought that up before I forgot it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think as the center back, you know, you're, you're the deepest player besides the goalkeeper. So it's easy to, uh, be able to see where your teammates are where the opponent is just simply by how you shape your body um, but yeah there were, there are were times where Aaron Long had the ball and he's just got his back turned to Lovitz just staring at Long he doesn't look to see where Lovitz is and if I'm Cuba if I see that and the ball's going to Reem I'm I'm putting pressure on him because he doesn't know where every Everything is, and what's going on all over the field. So it's an opportunity to win the ball. Um, beyond the awareness, I think in the build-up play, when we would get into Cuba's half, uh, while we did score four goals, the the combination play in and around the eighteen-yard box, the circulation around the eighteen-yard box of Cuba, I didn't I didn't think it was very good. And I think that there are reasons for that. I think, uh, you know, something that we talk about a lot in coaching philosophy is losing your man. Uh, We don't do that very, very much. And when we do, it's not very good. Uh, Third man movement and combinations to break down the lines of uh, the defense. It's it's poor. And yeah, we don't see any great, You know, flowing moves, building up from, you know, midfield into Cuba's half, breaking down their back line where it's all smooth. There's no missed passes. Uh, We don't really see that. It's a lot of laboring, a lot of kind of ball bouncing around. Maybe lucky to end up at one player's foot. You know, he crosses the ball and we get some sort of chance out of it. Um, Those are the things that stood out to me because while we did have some of the ball, more so than against Canada. We weren't very good at uh, breaking down Cuba and creating consistent chances. In this game, we should have looked uh, like Spain against Malta, an example that we used in a previous episode. That's what it should have looked like, man, and it didn't.
0: Yeah. And when people – well, I I guess I should – reform reform this thought. People are gonna use the excuse that they hear coming from Stu Holden, from Alexi Lawless, blah 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 about the field and about the condition, you know, the weather and things like that, like like that making it difficult. We put ourselves in difficult situations though, and, and I highlighted one on on Twitter where Aaron Long and Tim Reem are playing aerial balls to each other. In the back line with two people pressing them, and they're about like 15 to 20 yards apart from each other, uh, as center backs, and that was the the type of build up play that they decided to to go for in that moment. So you can't blame that shit on the field. You can't blame that on the on the weather. You know these guys are just you know they're playing 15 20 yard balls to each other that are incredibly difficult to to. To bring out of the air, you know, the way that Aaron Long played like a curving ball to Tim Ream at one point. It's like, dude, you put that, you put your teammate in a terrible situation where, you know, he had to be twisting and turning his body to, to um just to receive the ball that you played him. So it's like, th- th- those are the type of things that, that are really frustrating to me. Um And yeah, we shouldn't be seeing that against an opponent like Cuba. We should look like fucking world beaters against Cuba.
1: Yeah, the field's not an excuse, man. The w- When the condition isn't great, it, you still have to perform. And so, okay, if, if the ball's maybe a little bit slower or maybe the ball is bobbling a little bit on the grass, that only means that you need to be uh, a little bit more aware of giving yourself enough space and time when you're going to receive the ball or when you play your teammate, play the ball a little bit harder if the grass is going to slow it down or the surface is going to slow it down, it's not an excuse to abandon the way that Berhalter has shared. He wants the team to play. It's just, you got to be, uh, you got to adapt a little bit, be a little bit better at those things. Yeah. it, It, it frustrated me too, to hear some of the reaction, uh, from the commentary, the media to say exactly that, like it's, it's an excuse.
0: And another example of something that frustrated me was, you know, something that you cannot, again, you cannot blame on, on something like the field, right? So Tim Ream has a, has a ball that's played to him. I think from a throw in it's in our defensive third Ream receives it across his body and kind of just takes his sweet little time and invites the Cuban defenders to come further up the field. Meanwhile, you know, he's five yards from the end line. So Cuban defenders are now coming all the way into uh, their attacking third to, to press us, which, you know, could have been the game plan, I guess, but I really don't think so. And then Tim Reams' next move was to play the ball back to Brad Guzan, and and the way that he played him, he played Guzan's uh, near foot or or his left foot, and he played the ball you know at snail pace. The ball was hardly moving when it when it arrived at Guzan's feet, and and Guzan takes a touch, and his next touch is to just blast the ball forward. So that was an opportunity that we had to build out of the back. And we decided not to. And it, in my opinion, was due to, again, Tim Rehm being the breakdown and not helping out his teammate Brad Guzan by not playing him on the appropriate foot, by not playing the ball with the appropriate speed or weight, uh, by not, you know, providing any type of advice after he played the ball to him. It was a very, very, very poor example of, of, you know, how we would want to build out of the back. And I, I highlighted that on Twitter so people can go and look at the video if they want to see that. Um yeah, so
1: between the two of us, we provided multiple examples across the two games, so it, it's a pattern, it's a clear pattern in the way that they're playing, and it's gonna get it's gonna be an issue,
0: yep, yep, um yeah there's 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 so many similarities between the two games, so many examples, you know clear examples. That something is not clicking with with this group. It's either you know the players, it's the coach, it's what whatever it is. There there is no identity at this point. 2019, the entire narrative from the media, starting from the top with U.S. Soccer, from the very first press conference, uh, all the way throughout the Gold Cup, leading into these games in the Nations League, we were we were told that we were going to have this a uh, different style of play. We were told that we were going to, you know, be attack-oriented. We were told that we were going to have ball circulation and we were going to be disorganizing the opponent and all kinds of different things. And, and you know, as 2019 comes to a close uh, with this game against C- or Cuba, I really just feel unsatisfied. I feel really, really, really unsatisfied, and I feel like there was, you know, virtually zero progress. We're, we have regressed to playing the way that... You know they played when Berhalter was on the team in the '90s or in the early 2000s. That's you know that's where we are. That's where we are at right now with U.S. men's soccer. We are in our past.
1: Yeah, I agree, man. And I think uh, we've talked about this in past episodes. The strategy of U.S. soccer is the perception Uh, they tried to sell us in the beginning of Berhalter's. I'm with the national team. That oh, he's this master tactician. We're gonna play possession-based soccer. We saw a lot of uh, like clips that they would they they would share of inside of training, maybe a Rondo or uh, Berhalter giving a team talk. It it was heavily pushing the idea that okay, we we are moving forward as a program. And after a year of that and really nothing changing, it it looks just as it always has. Uh, Now you see things like, oh, it's great that Berhalter is showing some flexibility Um, and uh, the conversation is no longer around, you know, his principles of possession based play. Uh, We're hearing a lot about effort and professionalism uh, and mentality and yeah, all of that other stuff is no longer being brought up. Uh, which to me says that, yeah, they they had no idea what they were doing uh, when they were bringing up all this possession-based conversation. It was just a show. uh, And now that they've realized that, okay, we're not going to perform and be able to win games doing that, we'll just go back to what we have done in the past. Hopefully it's good enough. And let's face it, we're going to qualify because we play in CONCACAF. And we'll probably go to the World Cup. We'll be lucky to get out of the group and maybe make a run into the knockout rounds, but that's it. You know, the the standard isn't to win the World Cup. It's just do enough to be able to get there. So I, as a, as a fan of soccer in this country, I'm frustrated. I'm very frustrated. I feel like they're trying to trick us into thinking something better is going to happen when it clearly is not.
0: And I feel the same way, man. I feel like, and I, and <laughs> people probably get get mad I say this. I feel like, I, I feel bad that other people are getting tricked. I feel bad that I see people falling, falling for the, the fucking gimmicks at this point. It's like, like, I can't believe we're in 2019 and you people are eating this shit up out of U.S. soccer's hands. To me, that's really, it's really frustrating, but that's, it's also really sad. I thought, uh, I thought a lot of people were, were beyond that, but still to this day, they're they're eating this shit up, which is unfortunate. But like you like we've we pointed out in other episodes too, there seems to be a shift from some people from from maybe like a small percentage of people that are are starting to push back. Which I think again I will double down on this. I think that's very 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 positive that people are starting to push back. So um, let's talk about uh, a little bit more about the media reactions. Um, I think it's important to point out that. Only one network took part in the post-game press conference down in Cuba, and that network was, I don't know how to say it correctly, Tudon, T-U-D-N, the the Spanish network, and Nico Contour was the only person that uh, took place or that asked questions in the press conference. So to me, that is a red flag that American media didn't seem to care didn't didn't seem to place any importance on, 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 number one, this game, um, or, or holding Greg's feet to the fire about really anything. They kind of just had, I think already made up their mind that this game was going to be, uh, what it, what it ultimately was, which was a win. And there was nothing that they could learn or needed to learn about this, about this team from this point on. So that to me is a red flag that m- media did not, you know, make it an effort to even be part of this, uh, post game press conference besides Nico, um, and he asked Greg, I think, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight or nine questions, probably le- less than 10 questions were asked of Greg Berhalter at the end of the, uh, at the end of the game or towards the, uh, or at the press conference. And, uh, at one point Berhalter even joked uh, because they were just sharing the microphone at one point that it felt like Greg Berhalter Berhalter was interviewing Nico Contour because he was just holding the microphone. So Nico could talk into it. Um, yeah, so uh, the press conference. You and I actually watched that together. What were uh, what were some of your initial reactions to the way that Halter handled himself and, and the questions that he was that he was given at the end of the game?
1: Yeah, mostly just general questions and, and answers. Again, uh, it's no longer the conversation is no longer about um, you know the details of his possession based view that he had for the team it's more of a i think i think he used words like it was a professional performance it was mentality which i totally disagree with because yeah like i said it was an opportunity to get better at uh his way of playing and uh they didn't do that so i don't know it, i think Berhalter, it'll be interesting to see what he does in these next four, I believe it's four games before we get to World Cup qualifying, how he will treat it. At this point, I'm not confident uh, that he has what it takes to implement a possession-based style of play with the team. Um, I think it's possible, but I don't have the confidence in him to implement that.
0: Yeah, I believe next year we have the we have, we have some friendlies. Burhalter actually mentioned in the press conference that there are some friendlies with European teams that are likely to be confirmed probably here in, in the near future. He wasn't able to to say who those opponents are, but he's looking forward to high-level European opponents and he has the semi the semis and hopefully the finals of the CONCACAF Nations League to look forward to in 2020. Um, he, he was also asked about, you know, his, his feelings on how 2019 went. And he said things like it was a great group of guys. They were very enthusiastic. He made a mention of them as a staff and as a group of players, as a team, as a program, having to face a number of challenges, which when I heard that I kind of wrote down a bunch of question marks next to it, because again, this is like a very vague Statement saying uh, saying there were a number of challenges that we had to face. What challenges? You guys had all the you guys had an entire year to do whatever you wanted with this group of players, and, and that year flew by and nothing really happened. I don't understand the challenges. Maybe a couple injuries. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, but he said his overall goals for the year were to win the Gold Cup and to qualify for the semis of the Concacaf Nations League. To my knowledge, I don't remember them stating these goals. Uh, at any point throughout the year so it, it almost seems like uh, um kind of like you know post post-year evaluation kind of kind of then stating your goals um i don't remember them any at any point in the gold cup saying that you know the goal was to win the gold cup uh, they ultimately lost that they did qualify for the nation's league semis so a, a pass and a fail i guess on the two overall goals for the year um some some other notes from from the rest of the uh, press conference. Uh, he said that he really liked Christian Roldan's movement and his ability to play between the lines, which to me is hilarious. I have zero notes on Christian throughout the entire game. Actually, the only thing I wrote down was that he was he he seemed to be absent. There was there was no real anything from from Christian Roldan. The only moment that really sticks out in my mind was I think his diving header in the first half that uh, was on goal and then saved. But other than that, I felt like Christian Roldan did virtually nothing. Um, And then the other one that kind of surprised me is that he said that Jackson Ewell was named man of the match and he liked his intensity. He said that Jackson found excellent positions and thought he did a great job, Um, which I can see again. uh, I think like you said in the last episode, you can see why fans are, are intrigued by somebody like Jordan Morris. I can definitely see how fans are intrigued by somebody like Jackson Ewell, but using your famous or soon to be famous, mirage of CONCACAF calf line i think that it's easy to look good or to, or to stand out against a team like canada or against a team especially like cuba but the mistakes that jackson that jackson you made against these these teams are they're gonna he's gonna get smashed if that's a team like germany he's gonna get smashed if that's a team like brazil uh, like argentina he's gonna have no room to breathe in those moments and he had too many too many too many scary moments against a, a team like cuba for me to put all my eggs in, in the Jackson Yule basket. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, let's hope these these games against European competition are against uh, teams with some serious quality, which will uh, most likely paint a clearer picture for us as to where uh, this team currently stands in the global context. And, yeah, as an example, uh, Jackson Yule, little to no pressure against Cuba, what does he do against, you know, one of the top teams in Europe where uh, my guess is they would they would put him under pressure. If not, they would force – they'd probably force him to try to playmake. And so either way, under pressure, does he have the quality or does he have the ability to playmake? You know, they'll test him one way or another and that'll paint a clearer picture for us as to where he's at and the guys all over the field are at.
0: Yeah and and just so people know that we're not just blowing smoke all over the place we like you mentioned we've we've done or we've tried to do a good job of providing some video and and photo context on our twitter feed so people can actually go and look and see you know what we're talking about with these breakdowns and specifically against jackson ewell there's a moment like around i think the 35th or 36th minute where you know there's a couple sequences where he gets the ball in midfield and he can make very very easy decisions that will that will keep the ball. Uh, maybe maybe I'm looking at the wrong one. Maybe just before that, like the 33rd minute, actually. And all he has to do is just you know make a simple pass to Tim Ream. Instead, he he you know scuffs everything and it puts us in a very very tough situation. We go from having possession in our attacking half to then trying to scramble and keep possession in our defensive third, which ultimately ends up again in a long ball from Tim Ream and a turnover. So it's like these are these are things that you know when when you hear Burhalter say something like Jackson was the man of the match, you need to look further into that to to really really decipher. Okay, w- what about his performance makes him man of the match for this game? And then what does that mean in a in a bigger context? How is he going to do against these bigger nations? Is this going to work against a, a, a bigger team? And and that's what everybody really needs to kind of have in the back of their mind, I think. Um, yeah. What what, what else do people need to know about this game or about about, the set of games against Canada and Cuba or 2019 in general for the U.S. men's national team as we we close the book on 2019 and we start to move forward into 2020?
1: I would use one word, disappointing. Um, It's been a frustrating year after a year before that. That was frustrating as well. And... You know, after the failure to qualify, we thought that this would uh, force change. It hasn't. We are pretty much exactly where we were uh, when the team was under Bruce Arena. And we're getting closer and closer to World Cup qualifying. Um, So it's a concern. And we have a lot of work to do in a small amount of time uh, to be prepared for qualifying and in the World Cup. It's going to go by quick, you know, and national team football there's not a lot of time to to work together on the things that uh, you're trying to accomplish so we'll see but like I said earlier I'm not very confident
0: yep and and going into 2020 I'll share just this one last thing I think if we're going to use anything to measure the progress of the U.S. men's national team I think the biggest thing should be consistency and it should be in line with how uh, how Burr has presented himself to the media and has presented this team to the media being, you know, uh, a possession based attack minded, um, you know, uh, that that type of a team. And so we should see that on a consistent basis. And we should also be getting wins coupled with that. So if we're getting that style and wins consistently in 2020, then I could say we have progress. So far looking back at 2019, it was all over the fucking place. There was zero progress and we didn't see any type of an identity or a style of play. So
1: yeah, another thing that I'll be looking at in 2020, uh I'll have an eye on who in the media is going to hold Burhalter accountable for his uh words regarding his style of play, you know, the identity of the team and who is going to make excuses. Uh, for him not being able to accomplish those things,
0: it's very important. It's very, very important. All right. Uh, anything else that we need that we need to get to, or are we done? I think we're done. All right, we're done. Uh, if people want to join the conversation, if people want to see the things that we've been highlighting on Twitter. You can find all of Joey's work at Casio underscore FG. That's at C-A-S-C-I-O underscore FG. And you can see some of the stuff that I've I've been putting out there as well at that Croatian guy. You can also head to the comment section that is available on 343coaching.com if you want to leave us a bigger piece of your mind. There are no character limits there. You can write us a fucking essay if you want um, and, and tell us everything that, that you feel about the U.S. men's national team. I don't know when the, the, the next game actually is, so I don't know when the next time we're going to jump on here and do this again. I think the youth teams are, are out of action for a while as well. Maybe uh, before the end of the year, we can kind of just do – maybe we'll do like a 2019 review uh, or something before before the end of the year. But we got to definitely get back on here and talk about U.S. soccer before that. Um, but until then, Joey, my friend, thank you very much for your time and for your patience.
1: Until next time, John. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the three, four, three podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession based soccer, you can visit three, four, three coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.